0: that whole time it was real estate that supported me after what like literally maybe a few months after it happened i refied a property and put that money in my bank account and i didn't look at it for another year and a half are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one you're in the right place welcome to where should i invest real estate investing in canada with your host sarah larvey
1: everybody welcome back to another episode of where should i invest so i've got some exciting news the uh, demo has been done on the burlington property and these guys are actually pretty fast i've hired uh, some contractors i haven't worked with them yet but so far they're super impressive they had everything knocked down and also all of the framing done within like three days (laughs) so they're they're pretty good this uh this reno should be done my thoughts are mid-march and that's what they they mentioned but uh yeah no super cool they're sending me some videos of the progress throughout and uh this is uh this is one of the the big reno's that we've done sometimes we find some burrs where there are less reno's needed but this one is a, a pretty big job so Originally, we wanted to move into it. Now, I'm not sure what we're going to do. I think we're still going to move into it, but we're looking at all the different options of what we want to do, but super excited. And guys, if you haven't been to the right club, when you are listening to this, there is going to be an amazing event coming out. And January 30th, January 30th will be an event with Harry Fine, who is a former adjudicator. And we had him last year at The Right Club, and uh, just amazing content. If you ever wondered about the Landlord Tenant Board and the Residential Tenancies Act, this guy used to be there and uh, spent his career there. Really, really interesting, has lots of great stories, and uh, just some really great insights for landlords. And we've also got another amazing speaker that day. And then our next event after that is February 25th, and I'm actually gonna be speaking on stage February 25th, as well as Andrew Hines. So I'm gonna be speaking on the birth strategy. Andrew is gonna be speaking on student rentals and January 30th, depending on when you guys look listen to this. Brian Hodgman is also going to be speaking, great mortgage broker as well. So lots of fun things. And hopefully soon our online right club portal is going to be ready for, for all of you guys coast to coast listening to this to also have access to investors across the country. So super excited about that. And, uh, and guys, if, uh, if you have an interesting, cool idea for a podcast, send me an email and let me know. I'd love to uh, love to hear about it. Sarah at sarahlarby.com. Go on my website and, uh, and let me know what your thoughts are. And there's actually a really cool little spot where you can speak into the microphone and uh, and ask your questions as well. So I've gotten a few replies from that. That's pretty cool. I think it's like speak pipe or something like that. I think that's what it's called. So love that. And, uh, and what else is going on? Well, we got a great speaker today, Jay Gabriani, who has been in real estate for quite some time. He has an amazing story and his story, real estate helped him survive through a pretty horrible tragedy that you guys are going to hear about. And because of real estate, he was able to continue and be okay financially. And I won't let you guys know what this is because we're going to talk about it during the interview, but it was, uh, it's quite remarkable what he went through and, uh, and how real estate has helped him through a really hard time. So I'm excited about this podcast. Hope you guys enjoy it too. And if you do, if you wouldn't mind leaving a rating and review, that would be amazing. Thanks so much. Hi, Jay. Welcome to the show. Super excited to have you on. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, sir. Great to be with you.
1: Absolutely. Now we met probably a few months back at a mastermind dinner that I believe that's where we met that yeah. Wong was hosting. And we started talking about real estate because that was the topic. And, uh, you know, you've got such a great story. And I wanted to to bring you on so that you could share your story with the listeners, and uh, so I'm I'm super excited about that today. But first and foremost, who are you for the listeners that don't know Jay? Who is Jay?
0: Well, I'm a single father of three, live in Oakville, Ontario. Been real estate investing basically since my first child was born back in 2005. Is when I jumped into the world of real estate investing because after I held my son. I just realized that, you know, I was doing okay as a bachelor, but you have to build for the future. So lots of business experience, lots of real estate experience. So I'm hoping to share a lot of tidbits with your audience today.
1: Amazing. So I live in Oakville as well. So we're probably uh, fairly close to each other.
0: <laughs> yeah, right around Bridge Road and Third Line. I'm a little south of the QE. Yes.
1: All right. So I'm probably like five, 10 minutes from you, not even sure. on the other side, <laughs> other side of the QE, but still on third. So. Perfect. So you got started in real estate when your son was born. Talk to us about how you got started, what your first investment was.
0: Sure. So basically, he was born in August 2005. And I started joining some networking groups and stuff way back then in 2005. I actually studied for about 18 months before I made my first investment. And my first investment was a doozy. I'm sure there's members in your audience who are a little bit older who started investing at the credit crisis, 2007, 2008. My first investment was in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. The area at the time was super hot simply because the price of oil had risen to like $135-ish. But basically, Sarah, you could not have bought any higher than I bought. I was buying three-bedroom townhouses in North Edmonton for about $275,000. Credit crisis hit and literally within what seemed overnight, but was kind of around six to eight months, they were below 200000 So I actually did not do well in my first investments. But I also realized that I had spent a long time training, learning, and I'm a believer in that even bad experience is better than no experience. So I took that and I just switched strategy after some Edmonton stuff. And I switched right here to Oakville back in 2009, 10 and 11. Started acquiring buy and hold properties. I invest in three bedroom bungalows on 60 by 120 foot lots. And I rent them out to families, and that's kind of been my plan since 9/10/11. Uh, I brought in joint venture partners because I ran out of money in uh, after my Edmonton investments. So I brought in some joint venture partners. Uh, we built a nice portfolio, and things that we were buying at you know 350 to 400 are now in that whole 800 to 900 thousand area. So yeah, love real estate investing. I'm a firm believer in it. It's the best asset class for people to secure their family long term, and uh, just really enjoy it. So please feel free to ask whatever questions about real estate. Definitely.
1: Awesome. Yeah, I do have a lot of questions. So are you still actively purchasing at this point or are you just kind of managing what you've got?
0: I manage what I got and uh, I hadn't purchased for years and years. Basically I was on like a four year sabbatical from everything 2014 to 2018. So I actually just made my first purchase back, literally just got the keys like last week. So yes, and starting back into it, much easier now that you have results and that you can show people exactly what you're doing. But I also, you know, I'm very selective now. I do believe in focus. So uh, I focus in this area. Literally, the area that I invested in Oak Sarah, was, you'll know it, it is a little rectangle, third line, fourth line, Rebecca and Spears. All of my properties were in there. I lived in there with my family. So it's a little tough to find the buy and hold to use that model here now. So basically, I will be coming up with a new area, new presentation, new everything, and we'll concentrate in that area. I haven't decided yet about what that is, but my purchase was just a, it was a condo, like more of a potential Retirement thing. That's a long term play. I'll be renting it out. That actually was in Mississauga where I grew up. But outside of that, we'll be actively investing.
1: Okay. Now, is this with a joint venture partner, this new purchase?
0: No, this one is not, simply because I used real estate to take that sabbatical. I cashed a couple of properties. Uh, There was some very substantial equity appreciation. So I just used that actually to buy. So buy with a mortgage. Yeah. So no joint venture partners on this one.
1: Okay. So obviously you really understood a great area because now to get into that third line to fourth line and what is it, Spears to Rebecca. Yes. Even a small, tiny bungalow, like you just the land on its own, I feel like is eight, nine hundred thousand. <laughs> just to land. So you definitely did really well. Now, now obviously cash flow is important. I'm a big believer in that, but I really do believe that you make your wealth when it comes to buying in the right market. And holding on for the long term and getting that appreciation mortgage pay down. But were you cash flowing on those properties back then?
0: In Edmonton, no. In Edmonton, things were just so hot back then. Like literally through all of 2005, 6, 7, properties were going up like 5,000 a month. So everyone believed that that party would keep going. So I, like I said, I bought in right at the top without knowing. I didn't know what was going on above me in the world economy and stuff like that. But so those ones did not. Oakville did. Things we were buying for like 350 ish, 400 bungalows, we were renting out back then for 17, 18, and one case, 1900. So we were getting 150 to 200 bucks. But I agree with you, we didn't even take that cash flow out. Like that cash flow sat in the reserve account, it just kept building up. Because in this game, I'm sure a lot of your audience knows like when you get hit with a repair or a renovation, you just need the money. So my partners and I made the agreement that, yeah, we're going to keep paying down all the mortgages. We did that very well. And we just kept storing the cash flow. And uh, that was it. But yeah, the equity appreciation, your time in the market will definitely be much more um, impactful than your certain timing. That is 100% true.
1: Absolutely. Now, you know, I love real estate, but it's not necessarily so much about the real estate itself, it's about the freedom that it brings and the opportunities that it brings for yes. the lifestyle or the things that matter more. Than just money and real estate and so how has real estate helped you
0: oh goodness gracious basically sarah i mean like i don't know what i would have done without it maybe we'll just get into the reason of the sabbatical sure. so you know got married 2004 right and three kids 2005 2007 2009 so let's just say that while we were building that real estate portfolio It was really, really busy at home. Three young children. It it was a traditional household. There, I was kind of the outwardly focused spouse, business, real estate, entrepreneurship. And my wife was internally focused, busy, busy, three kids, domestic cycle. And I'm going to take you back to 2011. We had just come off a stint where we bought three properties in about 16 days. We closed three properties right here in Oakville. Very hectic, very busy, like uh, extensions and uh, all kinds of stuff needed, had to move mortgages around between joint venture partners. It was quite a bit of stick handling. And my wife, unfortunately, had a slip and fall in 2011. She went to the doctor the next day, and the doctor prescribed her OxyContin. Now, I don't know if you know anything about that stuff, but it's uh, super nasty, super addictive. And unfortunately, my wife developed an addiction to these things. You throw in the fact that there's three young kids at home. There was some postpartum depression. Let's just say it was a very bad like Molotov cocktail of things. And a three-year run, Sarah, from 2011 to 2014 was not very good. Basically, when we were supposed to be building even more, we were at 11 properties by 2011. And my business plan was to take it up to about 25. But once she kind of had that slip and fall, started taking these pills, then it was really, really bad. And unfortunately, in 2014, she basically decided that she didn't want to be here anymore. So uh, I, I talk about this because I, I value genuineness very, very highly. People go through lots of things in their own lives. Your audience members, they know they have issues going on in their own lives. Everyone faces them. So I share it so that you know, maybe someone else doesn't have to go through it. But after she passed away, remember, I was the outwardly focused spouse. My children were five, seven, and nine at the time. So uh, I basically had to shut it all down. I was running a marketing agency back then and uh, simply had to call my clients up and just say, sorry, I can't, can't do anything. I need to internally focus. So from that 2014, I thought maybe it'd be one year off, two years off before I went back into business. Turned out to be four years. That whole time it was real estate that supported me after what, you know, like literally maybe a few months after it happened, I refied a property and put that money in my bank account. And I didn't look at it for another year and a half. And then uh, I ended up selling a property and that money kind of sat in the bank account as well. So if it was not for real estate, sir, I get asked, uh, what would you have done if you didn't have real estate? And I'm just like, I have no clue. Right. So I don't know what would happen. So I encourage the audience, if you're sitting on the fence about, you know, about real estate, about starting, get started, plant your seeds because, you know, the vision boards and all that stuff. Yeah. Not once when I was doing those vision boards did I ever say I'm gonna need real estate in case my wife passes away. Right. But that's exactly what happened. So I owe everything to real estate because if it wasn't that, I don't know. I doubt I would have been able to take any sort of sabbatical. Who knows how my children would have adjusted. But because of real estate, I was able to take that four years off, take my kids to school every day, and just concentrate on them and me. So that's yeah. that's the answer to real estate. So it's vital for me. It Definitely. was
1: absolutely i mean that's just i mean i'm i'm so sorry obviously to to hear that and i've heard your story and i know we talked about it a little bit as well and but thank you for for sharing because i think it's first of all i i have a bit of a background in in nursing and that whole oxycotton is definitely not something that you want to you know get addicted to but as things happen it's good to, that you had real estate to be able to to have a a fallback to say I need to figure out what's important now at that point in time and take care of your family and It's amazing that you you were set up ahead of time. There's obviously horrible things that will happen, and you definitely faced a huge one. But for those of you listening at home too, like you could be sick, you could have be diagnosed with something that will prevent you from working or will prevent you from working in the current job that you have. And so I think, and it's hard to say I'm gonna plan for these eventualities because they're they're horrible to think of, but unfortunately they happen. And so in a way I'm happy to hear that you were able to continue and do what you needed to do for the family that yet you had to to keep supporting and that you were able to do it. And I think you've also created something really great right now for for a support group for others. Can you talk to us about that?
0: Sure. So basically, um, obviously, along with the emotional mourning and everything that you go through when a spouse passes away, one of the other roles that I had to take on in, the, in that year is we did have wills. We were set up for that like way, way back when the first child was born. Uh, I was the executor of her will or her estate. So, a little background I went to the University of Waterloo. I'm educated as a professional accountant. Okay. So, I don't practice anymore. I don't use the thing anymore. But you would think that as a professional accountant, as an entrepreneur for 20 plus years, my entire adult life, I've only worked for myself. I have not worked for anyone else. And as a real estate investor, you would think that with all those skill sets, you know, handling paperwork, going through an executor, all that stuff would be okay for me. I'd handle it. But I actually had a horrible time with it. And then I started asking other fathers, right, just because it was my experience. And I just, you know, like the, the chats you have, I said, what would happen if something unfortunately happened to you? Would your family be prepared? Would your family know what to do, et cetera? And Sarah, the answers for almost everyone was no. Like they wouldn't know what to do. I don't have my stuff organized, et cetera. So when I decided to come back kind of to the world of business in 2018, I decided to open a company called Prepared Fathers. And Prepared Fathers is all about empowerment. We empower fathers financially. So, again, any of the things we're gonna talk about, they apply to everybody, obviously. But I just happen to chose that niche because I'm a member of that niche. And Prepared Fathers basically we do like, you know, some coaching programs, we have quite a few checklist-free stuff. So we always wanna like add value to the market and and then decide and determine how we can help fathers. So, that's been uh, basically since right at the beginning of or late 2018, early 2019 is when that started.
1: That's amazing. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. So, I do have some questions about that. Like, what are some of the things that you help them prepare? Like, give me some examples of maybe something that we're not really thinking of, but if something were to happen, we'd have, mm-hmm. to, we'd have to deal with, and, and what you see the, the biggest struggles are.
0: Yes, great question. So basically, for fathers in particular, once again, applies to all parents, the deficiencies where I see kind of a lot of people, only 40% of fathers have a will. Okay, so let's just start with that. It is vital if you have assets like the audience has real estate, etc. And you have children, especially if you have those two things, I can't stress enough, it is vital that you have a will, simply because if something happens to you, then first of all, the government is likely to take a higher share of that estate tax, probate tax, when someone passes away, if your wishes are not determined on paper, in a will. And secondly, and this one's pretty well guaranteed, it will take longer for your family to regain control over those assets, for the government to kind of release them after they look at everything. So obviously, if something happens to you, then they're going to be dealing with emotional stress, but they now have to deal with all of this financial stuff on top. So when I encourage people uh, who want to be a prepared father, it is. You got to have the right conversations, conversations with your stakeholders, your spouse, your estate lawyer, your executor of your estate, et cetera. You obviously have to have the assets, which is what you teach and your group teaches so, so well. You have to build up your assets and then you have to have your paperwork. So conversations, assets, and paperwork. If most people can just kind of get through those levels, then they get from what I'll call financially maybe ignorant or negligent to financially prepared and your children are worth it. So basically that's the attitude that I have. Uh, so that's the starting point. That's the kind of preparedness side of empowering fathers. And then it's just a matter of my specialized coaching is actually in widowers. Okay. So fathers, like they're widowers, they need to get their financial house in order. Like, especially if their spouse was handling the finances and they become a widower, like they're lost, like they're completely lost. Yeah. So my coaching specializes in widowers. Cause once again, I do believe that if you're a member of the market, it's a lot easier to serve that market. So unfortunately at 42, I became a member of that market. And uh, that's kind of where I specialize. But we also have lots and lots of free checklists, how you can manage your finances on your smartphone, Father's Guide to Financial Preparation. We have all these little kind of checklists and magnets where that's the stuff we give out for free because we want to impact people. Whether they invest with coaching or anything, that doesn't matter. It's getting the message out there. And hopefully fathers can just kind of realized that it's so important about the stuff that I'm talking about. Because uh, I don't know about you, but I never got trained about any of this stuff in school.
1: No, and absolutely not.
0: So basically fathers, the ones who handle, again, whoever handles the family finances, doesn't matter fathers and mothers, but whoever handles it, unless they were professionally trained, no one, no one taught you this. But we live in a first world country. Money is necessary. It's right below oxygen. So- Basically, uh, that's what I teach. And I realized that fathers some brilliant, brilliant guys, like doing some great things. They don't have a clue. So that's who I look to help. And, uh, that's the type of stuff that we talk about all kinds of things when it comes to financial empowerment, all kinds of different levels. That's what we specialize in.
1: And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buying my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet. And I actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the banks started asking me for 25% as the down payment. And then for my third property they wanted 35%. And it was really, really hard for me to A understand why it was creeping up like that. And B, I didn't have 35% to put down. I had 20%. And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time, and Dahlia is actually an investor herself, and she works with many, many investors, and she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders, and Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives but I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A-lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis. It was a game changer for me and it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was gonna get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email which is info at streetwisemortgages.com or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com and then just go to the contact section and you can also call her at 1-800-208 six two five five thanks for listening and back to the show
0: and now back to the show
1: yeah that's really great to hear that so when you were talking about the will and not the will and the government releasing like it just it kind of makes my blood boil a little bit right that they have so much control over everything and so what happens as an example if somebody has joint accounts
0: yes oh that was that was exactly one thing Liz. We had joint accounts. We also had separate accounts. Simple things. I didn't know the password to her accounts. I didn't know where her safe deposit box keys were. All right. She had a safe deposit box and the bank put me through like literal hell to get to open it right? So I couldn't find the keys. Uh, there's a lot of these little aspects that we would never consider until we're unfortunately in the middle of it. So I went and decided to pull all that stuff out to help, help people get prepared for these types of things so that they are organized, right? That their stuff's in one place. So it's, it's brutal. And uh, yeah, that stuff is still in your control. As long as you're healthy and able right now, again, please, if you have children, you have assets, even if you just have assets, get a will, definitely. It will be very, very helpful.
1: Absolutely. That and then power of attorney and, you know, what happens if you are just a vegetable on a bed, right? And just figuring out somebody and and what the protocol is and what you want done. And there's, I mean, there's really so much to think about. What about insurance?
0: With the powers of attorney, by the way, I want people to realize that you can have a financial one, financial person as a power of attorney. You can also have a health related one and they don't necessarily have to be the same person, right? So just, I wanted to make sure that your audience knew that when they're setting that up, if you have a friend or someone in your family who really knows about health and your health conditions, they're the person that you want the health power of attorney to, right? Because they can help make decisions for you, but people should just be aware of that.
1: That's really good. I actually didn't know that you could have a financial one and a health one, and it may actually be easier potentially to have two separate ones Mm -hmm. rather than-
0: one. They not know, right? Like me personally, if I was someone's financial power of attorney, I can handle that now. But don't ask me to be a health one. I don't know enough about it or whatever. Don't have enough knowledge. So yeah, that's a it's a great example. But yeah, you can you can definitely do uh, two separate.
1: That's great to great to know. What about insurance? What are your what recommendations or your thoughts on that?
0: Okay, so this was one of my like massive mistakes. Is that when I was younger, I. You know what, when I, when we got married and we started building real estate, the conversation of life insurance came up. But I unfortunately did not have any life insurance on my, on my wife. So it was one of those things where I never imagined in a million years that she was so like physically, Sarah, like healthy, super healthy. Yeah, the body obviously went through massive changes with three kids, but that was a big mistake that I made, right? I had the conversation about it. I sat down with brokers about it. But you know, sometimes you just don't take that last step and you actually do the thing that you're researching, et cetera. So right. I leave it. But see, on, on the other hand, I knew I was building real estate and that's exactly what happened when my wife passed away. The sabbatical was funded by real estate. There was no life insurance. So that's a big mistake that I made. Uh, again, I share it because hopefully that will add value to the audience where they don't make the same mistake I did. But yeah, let's just say that, you know, 500,000, a million bucks approximately uh, didn't end up in my pocket, you know, after the situation, but I highly encourage, especially if you have young children, a, especially if you are the primary breadwinner in your household, b, then I would definitely recommend that the life insurance level should be. This is my rough rule of thumb. I haven't talked to this one any broker per se, but I looked at it and said, uh, what would I need? So, if you have a primary residence and you have a mortgage on that, you should basically try and get coverage at a very minimum to pay off that mortgage. You can get it through on your mortgage application as well. You can apply for the insurance. And if you have children under 25, then basically you would know the cost per living per year. let's say it's 25,000 per year for each child. You have two kids under 25. I would multiply those how many costs, how many years you would need times the 25,000 per kid, and add that on top to your mortgage amount. That should give you a rough rule of thumb of the amount of life insurance that you would need. It's rough. But I highly recommend people talk to their brokers. And in terms of other types of insurance, yeah, like uh, disability insurance, et cetera. As an employer, as, a, as an entrepreneur, there were not robust programs available when I started in business. Now that has changed. Because, yeah, like if you said earlier, if you get hit by a car or you become a vegetable, life insurance is going to do nothing for you. Right? You won't cash because you're still living. So, yeah, you need disability but I definitely recommend you get some life insurance, even if it's just something for until your kids are older and you get some mortgage pay down, then maybe you don't need to keep doing it if you build a portfolio. But I definitely recommend the insurance because that was a big mistake. That was probably my biggest mistake is not having life insurance.
1: That's really interesting. Now you did talk about mortgage insurance and and to me, there's definitely some pros and cons and yeah. I, I am not a broker. I, I did do my license back in the day and I was a financial advisor for a very short stint, but he was, Here's my take on it, and like everybody needs to go out and get their own opinion, but I like term insurance because they underwrite prior, and the amount that you get, the 500000 or the million or whatever that is, yeah. that's what it is. I have an issue with when it comes to mortgage insurance because they don't underwrite at that time. They just ask you a series of a couple questions, and there's no underwriting till there is actually a claim, which can be very easily denied at that point. But the right. other issue I have is as you're paying down your mortgage, you're only covered to pay the mortgage. So imagine if you started at a $500,000 mortgage and it costs you, I don't know, let's just call it 30 bucks a month. All mm-hmm. of a sudden you have $100,000 left on your mortgage. It still costs you that same amount. And so like, I know that they get comped for that because it's a business in my opinion, the bank's a business. Um, oh, yeah. You know, my advice is just go separate from a mortgage insurance option and just do like a term or something different along those lines. That's just, that's just my own opinion, but I always say no to mortgage insurance.
0: Uh, funnily enough, I did as well. I always said, no, you got to understand also, right? Like uh, once you develop a certain level of kind of expertise and such, then you can always go out and do other things to make money. Right. So, yeah, I I agree with you. I always denied mortgage insurance. So I was exactly on the same lines as you when I was going through those potential numbers. Definitely a term policy seems to work out great. Let the kids get older, pay down the mortgage. And then you don't need it after the term. You're okay.
1: Awesome. One last question before we get into our lightning round. Sure. So just out of curiosity, what happens if somebody does pass away with the properties that you would own jointly? Would you have an idea on that?
0: I would. Uh, Basically, the executor and the partner would basically have to go through conversations. They'll have to be determined. Again, in the will and in the joint venture agreements, hopefully there's some language outlining a possibility of that scenario to be used as a guide. But the only, I've only seen it in a couple of situations because most, again, layering joint venture with someone passing away, it doesn't happen as often right now. But the partner and the executor would have to sit down and determine what is the best long-term course of action. Let's say that you're the real estate person, yet you have some kids, something happens to you, the executor might want to sell because they need to raise money for your family. The joint venture partner might be like, no, like this is passive for me, I'm okay. So it's gonna be a lot of negotiation, but at the end of the day, it's like anything, right? It has to be talked through. Hopefully there's some guidance language in the joint venture agreement that will kind of lead, and in the will, that will kind of lead the way and give guidance. And again, wishes should be discussed beforehand. No one likes to do these things because it's a bad situation, but wishes should be discussed and it'll it'll come down to the conversations of what the executor and what the joint venture partner want.
1: So let's just say, for example, my boyfriend and I have a property and it's we're like joint tenancy. Got it. And one of us passes away. Do they does the government hold stuff until everything is processed? Like I would still be able to access those accounts or are they frozen?
0: The accounts you can access, but the right and ability to sell, you would need to get the clearance first, right? The government would have to clear the file or whatever you want to call it and make their assessment. You wouldn't be able to sell it, but no, it would run. You would still collect the rent checks. You would pay the mortgages and all that stuff while the, while the estate is in that executorship stage, right? Where things are just being determined. So, and in joint tenancy, I'm sure there's also some language about about these kind of things, right? When you sign that type of agreement. So it would just be a thing where, yeah, just double check it. But yes, um, you would still be able to access and everything. But yeah, not sell and um, possibly not even refinance, by the way. Mm. So that's something important to realize. So. Okay. Get a good lawyer. Get a good lawyer in case if that happens.
1: The other thing I would just say on that note as just a little tip is when you can refinance, just do it and do it as a HELOC when you don't need the money. Because really? even even if it has nothing to do with people passing away or, or whatnot, it's just so much easier to do before you're actually urgently in need for it. Or even just you have access to money. So you if you have a deal then you can purchase that property without having to refinance if you don't have the cash, something else at that point in time. So it's always always good to have, if you have equity and, and you can refinance, go do it and just do it as a HELOC rather than a cash out refinance. So your mortgage payments aren't higher, but you've got a line of credit sitting there available.
0: Fantastic advice. Every, all, you always have access to resources. It's not about having the resources. It's about being resourceful. Right. And Whether it's your HELOC, whether it's your joint venture partner, like it doesn't matter. I agree with you. Get it set up. You don't have to use it. You won't be charged anything. You'll only be charged interest only when you do use it. So it's a fantastic piece of advice.
1: Awesome. So Jay, the next part of our podcast is the lightning round. So I'm going to ask you a series of five questions and you're going to give me the first that comes to mind. Are you ready?
0: Great. Let's do it.
1: Question number one. What is your favorite real estate investing book ever?
0: Real estate investing in Canada, Don Campbell mentor of mine
1: yes that's a great book i love him he's written many great books number two what is your favorite podcast oh this is a
0: tricky question i actually used to listen to a lot of podcasts john lee dumas i've listened to yourself erwin a lot of real estate ones i don't listen as much favorite one i'm gonna go with john lee dumas i've listened to him the most
1: okay all right great question number three what is your favorite pastime what do you do for fun when you're not doing real estate
0: sports and
1: chess okay what kind of sports
0: basically i was a basketball player my whole life so love basketball i love Mm -hmm. all of them the only one i don't really watch much or try to spit in is soccer never really never really caught that bug
1: all right all of them except for soccer Number (laughs) number four if you lost all of your money and your assets tomorrow how would you start again
0: I would basically put together a joint venture presentation. The one thing you lose, you can lose your assets. You don't lose your network. You don't lose your connections. i would put together a joint venture presentation and I would start raising money to buy real estate. It's a wonderful skill to have. And I'm pretty confident that I'd be able to do that. Uh, if I lost everything tomorrow.
1: Okay. All right. Great. And great answer. You're it's uh It's not about the stuff or the property, but it's your experience, your network, all of that. Absolutely. Number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend it?
0: Uh, First of all, I'd ask them what their goal is. Is it equity appreciation kind of long-term or is it more I need to create income off of this? Based on that, there'd be certain strategies. If it's equity stuff, real estate. If it's cash flow, then maybe some private lending, some selling put options different strategies available based on your objective and your risk tolerance.
1: Okay. All right, great. So Jay, if the listeners wanted to reach out and know more about you, where can they go?
0: They can go to www.preparedfathers.com. That's where kind of I hang out. And if they want to email me, they can email me at jay at preparedfathers.com.
1: Okay, excellent. Any final words of advice, Jay, for the listeners?
0: Yes. You know what? We uh, did, did not discuss this beforehand. I'd like to provide your listeners with one of those checklists. The one that I find that people get a lot of use out of is the how to manage your finances using your smartphone. We'll just set up a link and uh, when the episode gets released, then they can just go to preparedfathers.com forward slash R-E-I-T-E. And set that up. they can go and grab that checklist. And that'd be the advice I get is manage your stuff really well manage it well because it's important.
1: Excellent. Well, uh, make sure to add that to the show notes and, uh, and get that checklist, guys. Jay is a great wealth of knowledge, knows his stuff, clearly benefited in terms of you know scaling his portfolio and being able to do what you needed to do in times where you needed to be there for your family. So thank you so much, Jay, for being on the show. And uh, thanks for sharing your story as well.
0: Thanks so much, Sarah. It was great uh, to talk with you.
1: So I usually don't do outros, but I just want to thank you guys for tuning in again this week to this episode. And let me know your thoughts. Let me know if you enjoyed today's podcast. And also guys, by the way, I am launching very, very soon, February 15th, the second cohort for the Burr course. So if you are interested, there's still a few spots left. The information and the details are on my website if you click on the Burr section, you can hear and see all about it. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. Again, I think the students that were part of it, There's about 10 for the first cohort and uh, they absolutely had some great things to say. It's a combination of Zoom live calls, group calls, and also the VIP portion has us going out into the field and actually analyzing properties on off market, both of those, but also properties that are in different stages of construction or of the Burr process. So some of these are my properties, some of these are other investors' properties. But we're going to get to see some really hands-on property, and we can analyze them and apply the information and the knowledge from the courses that we're going to go through and the classes that we're going to go through. And uh, it, and it's a ton of fun. And essentially, for me, I learn by being immersed in it, but over time, not necessarily going to a one-day event and then trying to retain everything but this is why this class is actually over uh, quite a bit of time we're starting in february so we're starting february 15th and it goes right through to may so we have a call every other weekend and these are on saturdays and then the field days for those that want to participate in the field days as well will be interchanged in those those times so Guys, if you're interested, reach out and uh, and let me know. Love to have you as part of that group. And there is only 10 to 12 people per field VIP, but it is still unlimited if you wanted to do the online. So if you're listening to this from the West Coast or East Coast of Canada or wherever, is not close to where I live or where we're going to see in person, the GTA, then I would say um, the online one is going to be amazing and that's, that's going to be a great option as well for you. So on that note, guys, thank you for tuning in and uh, we'll uh, see you and talk to you next week. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually, only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked, and also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called RISE and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster